0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, back by popular demand, and by popular demand, I mean, y'all asked so many questions last time we did Mailbag, Ask Dave Anything, that it spilled into a second episode. So welcome on back. We are excited to continue answering some of the things that y'all have asked. This is again, from my perspective, that of a tall human being named Dave. I am not a professional, licensed anything. One of you actually asked, Dave, what are your credentials for being able to answer any of the questions that people might have on this podcast? I have no credentials. If you are seriously interested in having a real expert answer your questions, you should go to therapy. I love therapy. It's so good. And there's a therapist who would love to sit with you and dive into the things that you really have to try and work through. But if you wanna know my perspective, uh, well then, good, sit back and relax. We're about to dive on into Ask Dave Anything. Ask a husband anything, ask a dude anything, ask a father anything. My name is Dave, I am all of those things. Let's go. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things, this is Rise Together. How many questions, Dave, are in the Ask Dave Anything? Who knows? Really, no one knows how long this will go. This could go on forever. Question number one. Uh, I recently started reading more personal development books thanks to Girl, Wash Your Face. However, I'm finding that the more I dive in, the more I want to not only do so for myself, but I want my husband to do it as well. He is kind of a stubborn man and isn't open to personal development. How do I handle this? Because I'm nervous my growth will put us on different pages. Yo, I feel this one. Here's the thing. My wife, Rachel Hollis, she reads a book almost every two days. She is abnormal in that. I mean, I don't think it's a normal thing necessarily. And she's awesome because of it and I am not a reader. I struggle with reading. Like, I, do I know how to read? I do, I'm reading off a piece of paper, ask Dave anything, but I struggle with like feeling motivated to read. She, mindset-wise, has always been this growth mindset person who has seen reaching for things like books and podcasts and anything that can help her grow, as a thing that she's just wired for. And I'm trying to reprogram my having been, for the most part in my life, a fixed mindset person who didn't really feel a compulsion for reaching to, you know, want to read for the benefit of the knowledge and growth that comes from reading. So I've, 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 I will say I've like begrudgingly come along a journey of reading for the want to grow. And it took me being exposed to books, subject matter wise, that I could like almost accidentally be a learner from because of my enjoying the subject matter. I'll tell you, I'll give you a real time for example. I grew up in the professional setting of entertainment. I worked in like four different big entertainment settings over the course of about 25 years of time before I came to work here at the Hollis Company. And there is a book that I am currently reading called The Oral History of CAA. CAA is an an agency where they represent actors and um, entertainers across all different medium and the stories of just the history of this dynamic business place are super interesting and happen to deliver for me a secondary opportunity to learn about things that may in fact help me as the CEO of this company take us from where we are to where we wanna go. And it takes me finding a book like this that is a little bit of entertainment that has learning or education or just making my brain think about things that I may not have as a secondary benefit to make me realize, oh, hey, wow, I actually do get something out of reading to learn. Maybe there's something more. So that's one. Two, when we have challenged each other in our relationship or even more, we've been doing a challenge amongst our leadership team to read a specific book as a group and then come back and have a conversation about it, reading in that capacity so that you can turn it into a dialogue or a conversation has been awesome. And a lot of times, I'll be honest, I'm not the one picking the book because I am not the reader, but the books that Rachel tends to pick for us as a leadership team to read, or the books that Rachel picks for us as a couple to read have almost universally been books where I'm like, you know what, I'm looking forward to going out on our date night and having a conversation about this book. You know, this podcast, this very podcast that you're listening to, Rise Together, like our attempt here is, of course, to be a resource where you can listen and hopefully take away something that acts as a catalyst for conversation. Right. You may not agree with every point of view that comes up on this podcast. I'd be shocked if you did. But I hope for the points of view that you disagree with that acts as a primer for the next time you have a date night where you can say, remember that time that wackadoo Dave threw out on the podcast his idea about discipline? What do you think about it, right? And it provokes a conversation, right? Like this as an entry point for a person who doesn't identify as being interested in personal development is, I mean, hopefully it's a bit of a Trojan horse way of getting someone who doesn't identify as wanting to like read for the opportunity to grow and learn or listen to podcasts for the opportunity to be challenged in how they think or why they think the way they do as a man they're kind of fun there's a little bit of goofiness there's maybe some practicality or some empathy that comes in the relatability of some of the things that they're talking about I'd encourage you if you've got a partner who's not down for growth not down for learning um, one like it's There's a a lot of normalness in that. Some of it ends up being, especially if they are a male partner, about some of the ways that society has wired masculinity into the brains of male humans and has convinced men in some capacity to question if reaching for more or reading or doing anything in personal development um, is a thing that real guys do, that real men do, that in some, like the first chapter of my book is debunking the lie that self-help is for broken people. I struggled for a long time with the idea that I needed to read a personal development book because of a stigma I had on the idea of personal development being something that existed for someone who was not, at that time, already good, already enough, that like, there wasn't brokenness that needed mending. If you were already a strong person, why would you need to read a book about becoming better? And now that I'm like immersed in this work and have read more of these books and and have listened to so many stinking podcasts, sat in conferences and been in like rooms with like minded people, I see how cuckoo that line of thinking was. But it took me actually being kind of led into that space in a way that didn't feel jarring or, you know, in some way triggering to my skepticism. So um, I would just a long way of saying find a way that's a softer landing for the person who's a skeptic for the person who doesn't buy into personal development if you can find a book that might tap into something that they have personal passion for or a podcast like this that's a little bit of a softer landing with the way that Ray and I are hopefully creating something that's conversational and doesn't feel too preachy or full of snake oil then great you know hopefully this podcast can lead to something that maybe a little bit more Um, pushes on the the boundaries of something that's more about growth and more about uh, development. Okay, who else has a question? Here is one for you. What are some gifts, birthdays and Christmas gifts that you have really appreciated as a guy? Every great gift I have ever received was about an experience. And this is not like an expensive experience, like, there were times when my kids would like uh, wrap up a perforated card that they cut out of uh, just a, you know, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper that said, This ticket is good for one trip to the batting cage. Like, having an experience, the, like, those are the things that I have remembered that I have valued more than anything. Rachel and I, every year for the last, I don't know, 10, maybe even the entirety of our being married, 15 years, have tried to find a concert or a reservation at a restaurant that we haven't eaten at before or like something like that. It doesn't need to be, again, doesn't need to be fancy, but the like looking forward to that comedy show of that person who's coming through town, the like I got her Janet Jackson tickets one year, forget it. I mean, like Janet Jackson that was something that we got to look forward to, uh, forever. So, uh, think about something that doesn't have to necessarily have a high monetary value, but that might have a high memory value. Um, experiences for me have always been the the highest memory value. All right. Here's a question. What is your worst running story? Oh, finally, we're giving some notice to the roads people. Why did it take so long? Uh, My worst running story, uh, this is terrible and maybe borderline inappropriate, but uh, I tend to do a lot of neighborhood running. I also tend to run in the morning quite often. And uh, I was running one morning and I was trying to do, I don't know if it was like six or seven miles, but that's like a little more than an hour's worth of run. And I'm three miles in, which means I am now far from my home. And I am feeling that thing you feel in your body when you know that you have to go to the bathroom. And I'm not uh, talking about uh, pee. And so I alter my course to go by a house that has been under construction for basically every time I've ever run past it since I've moved to Texas. So I'm like, okay, I got another mile I have to make. I can like run, but not run too fast. I'm gonna like, you understand. And I'm like three quarters of a mile into making my way to this construction site. Why would I wanna go to the construction site? Because there's an outhouse in the front yard of this home that is being overhauled. And it's two miles closer than getting back to my home. And I don't want to go to the bathroom on somebody's lawn. I want to go into an outhouse. So I'm about a quarter mile now away from my outhouse. And the running is now a very different brand of running. It's just like a it's a holding it in kind of uh, a run trot. It's, uh, it's a strange clinchy, uh, cloppy, uh, runny, uh, goey, but don't goey too fasty kind of thing. And I turn the corner and I can see the house. And my first observation is like, wow, they have made a lot of progress on this house since I last took this route. like. The pavement on the driveway is done. It used to be rocks. It's now cement. Go, go figure. I'm still like making my way, making my way, making. Wow, the landscaping is done. Like they didn't have grass and now they have grass. This is amazing. And then I realize This house is no longer under construction. This house stopped being under construction sometime between the last time I ran past this house when there was an outhouse in front of this house, and this time when I definitely need that outhouse, and it's gone. And so uh, to the owners of the only weeping willow tree that I've ever seen in the state of Texas, I would like to formally apologize for using the Cone of Silence. If you've ever seen a, a weeping willow tree, it uh, hangs down very, very low, like the branches bend down, and it creates a dome of privacy. And uh, I, uh, I couldn't find an outhouse. That was, uh, that was terrible. That was my worst running experience. And now you know. And as they said in G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle. All right, next question. How do we stop fighting about the stupid stuff? Yeah, it's small, and we're sweating it. Ah, uh, this is an interesting question. I got to say, Rachel and I are not fighting people. Um, and we've talked about being codependent in that way. In some ways, it was a Uh, a negative in our relationship that we didn't want to actually bring things up and become confrontational. We have, though, uh, just because of the frequency, the amount of time that we are spending together as we're working together, uh, we have in the last year and a half uh, dedicated ourselves to an idea, a practice of something called radical candor. So my recommendation to you would be if you go onto the internet, you can find a 20 or so minute YouTube of a thing called Radical Candor a video, a listen. See, see if it helps. Try and see if you can't watch it even together and have a conversation. The, the idea of Radical Candor for us has meant that when we get into something that feels uncomfortable in any way because we have so many things that we are trying to chase, We don't have time to let things sit because they will fester and then become something that can derail all of the work we're trying to accomplish. So we, on an every single day basis, just decide to wait into and have a conversation and the things that used to feel like hard conversations or felt like, oh my goodness, the um, like discomfort or like that it was uncomfortable. There's no discomfort anymore. It's just who we are. We're people who address things in real time You know, like the emotion that used to exist. Is there some emotion sometimes? Yes. Are we able now to say, oh, that's ego? Like we actually call it out. Oh, see, look, you're responding emotionally because of ego. And sometimes that pisses you off. Like, yes, I did respond that way. But if you can actually understand why you're behaving the way that you are when somebody is calling you out and trying to be an accountability partner for you, then maybe the next time it happens, you're a little less emotional. Because you're, you're realizing, oh, this is actually something I probably have to work on. This is actually, you know, if, if you can identify that the reason why they're bringing this thing up is because of some insecurity that exists inside of them. And you can find a way for them to hear, hey, when you actually present this way, it sh- you know, it feels like there may be some insecurity under this and you have no reason to be insecure here. I love you. Don't worry about, you know, know, if there's a way, right? That's a sensitive thing. It takes a little bit of time. But I will say, you know, a year and a half in, when we get into it, we have a quick, a very quick conversation. And we're at the point now where we can say, I think fear is leading here. I think insecurity is leading here. I think ego is leading here. And it stinks to hear it. But if you're going to be okay, like really getting to the root of why you feel the way you do, then you can like say, all right, I'm going to sit with for a second. I hate that you can identify that my fear is the thing that's driving this reaction that I'm having, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to drive to work separately from you today so I can process this. By the time you get to work, you're like, yep, it was fear. Thanks for calling out. Let's go. Let's have a day. All right. Next question. We do a date night weekly and we are running out of ideas. What's been your favorite date with Rachel? Well, Anytime you can incorporate music, great date. It could just be like, there's a musical, I mean, I live in Austin now, we live in Austin, there's music everywhere. But like you go into a place that's got somebody doing a little acoustic version of, you know, something from Clapton, forget it, you're ready to go. Um, But the thing that we like the most is trying out new restaurants. Because no matter where you go, you're always gonna have something that's a little bit unexpected, you get to try some new atmosphere, And it creates some great conversation. Uh, We did, I will say, like after our two sons were born and we really needed to, to like find a way to get back into the dating habit. We wrote down a bunch of date ideas on popsicle sticks and then pulled a popsicle stick out for the day of the date. Uh, just before the date. And it was always like the spontaneity and the, you couldn't put the Popsicle stick back. So, you know, flying a kite at the park was not a thing that either of us were like, you know what I need today? I need to go fly a kite at the park. But dang it, if we didn't turn Uh, like picnic, lunch, dinner situation at the park with a kite into something that was fun in part because it was unexpected, we were forced to do it because it was on a dang Popsicle stick. So um, there's, I think, maybe some fun ways to tap into things that you have personal passion for or engineer it, throw a bunch of ideas on cards, on Popsicle sticks and pull one out of the old hat. Next question. I'm married to a man who is a fixer I know his fixing and suggestions are from a loving place, but I don't feel loved by him saving me. I know it's not natural for him to listen and feel and not fix. How can I make him feel appreciated but stop the constant fixing machine? Oh, man, that's so good. So uh, one of the chapters of my book is The Lie. It's my job to fix their problems. I, uh, as a nine, I'm a peacekeeper. Uh, I I thought it was my job to keep my wife, to keep my children from experiencing any kind of pain, to keep them from having any hard times, to keep them from anything that would be anything negative. And uh, it's taken a lot of years to get to a place to uh, actually appreciate, no, 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 no. Uh, sometimes my job is to simply listen. It's sometimes my do- job just to hold a hand or to just let Rachel vent uh, or, or whatever it might be. Um, but I got there in part because of a, a conversation that we had to have on a day where I was trying to fix an unfixable thing. Um, the, thing that, the thing that tipped uh, this over for me was Rachel actually explaining how my attempt to fix her thing felt to her like I was minimizing or marginalizing the thing and its importance to her. And uh, it had never ever even occurred to me that my attempt at fixing could actually be doing the opposite and in some ways taking the weight of the thing she was complaining about and making it seem like it was irrational or ridiculous to have that as a weight or worry in the first place. So maybe there's a way for you to represent the underlying feeling that this, uh, you know, like is provoking for you so that there's an appreciation of, and I think you have to wrap it in a bow of, I know your intentions here are good. I know that you mean well, but I want to explain how this feels. Um, and my and my only other piece of advice would be: uh, Rachel was smart in having had this conversation with me, not in the moment where the fixing was taking place. She um, bit her tongue, let me try to fix, minimize, marginalize the weights and magnitude of her problem. And then the following day, maybe it was even two days later, uh, we were having dinner and we got into a conversation. And she said, hey, I want to tell you this and I don't want you to, you know, get upset, but I want to be able to like tell you. And my ability to hear it, two days removed from having tried to fix my good intentioned fixing this problem of hers, um, I was able in that objective setting to actually appreciate why my fixing might have actually been a backfired attempt at uh, showcasing her love. And um, like I say, it just changed the way I thought about it going forward. All right, here's a question. Meeting guys now is so hard. Most guys are just on apps and they want casual stuff. Help. Uh, I can't even imagine dating on apps these days. I feel like an old grandpa uh, dealing with this question. I would suggest, what are the things that you have personal passion for? You like to play soccer. You are into art. You, you know, like whatever. If you look at the local YMCA, if you look at the local community center, if you look at the local, whatever it might be, they have that activity. Go play that thing, go do that work, go like paint that thing. And as you're doing it, don't be on the hunt necessarily for a dude, but just like have fun in an element that brings out some of your own personal passion. And then watch what happens when you see someone else who shares that passion sit next to you as they try to use the little water cup to get some of the blue paint off their brush and you guys bump pinkies on accident. Next thing you know, you're married. All right, here's a question. How should I deal if I feel like my husband prioritizes his mom over me? Oh, goodness gracious. Great balls of fire. Um... Well, that is a good question, that is a good question. Um, I think I would probably, I mean, I think every uh, male human and uh, female mother and female wife uh, create some interesting dynamics, uh, family of origin and and, and everything notwithstanding, in a weird way, when we first were married, one of the things that we had to kind of work through uh, the most was, like, who gets time with whom around holidays? Uh, holidays, it's like Jenga. I mean, like, you, you pull one holiday out for one person and then, like, the whole stinking stack of sticks falls over. But um, I think I would ask, you know, like, really to specifically dive into an example of when you feel this thing if like my example of holidays are we going to this house for thanksgiving or are we going to go to that house for thanksgiving um you know and then try and game plan how to create some parity around that individual specific situation so if it were around the calendar like what we had to do we know in advance where we're going for Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and Arbor Day. We don't go anywhere for Arbor Day. Who does go somewhere for Arbor Day? Anyway, um, but we, we had to plan those things out. And we told everyone in a group email on both sides of the family so that they could then, as soon as we um, sent the email and then uh, deleted ourselves from it, fight amongst themselves. No, I'm kidding. Um, we just told everybody up front, Hey, we love y'all. And this is how we're planning holidays and man that we're so wanted in each of these settings. It means the world, but we are not yet cloning ourselves. So we can only be in one place at one time. That being said, here's what we'll be for this holiday and that holiday. And we tried to, you know, like spread it around. Um, I'm trying to think of a scenario where there would be other things that uh, you feel like you are, you know, maybe competing is the wrong word, but like anything, I think I would just try and find a way to represent what it feels like in a way that doesn't make him feel wrong for honoring or falling victim to the passive aggression or whatever it might be um, of his mother. If uh, you know, if you come at him with, I'd like you to stop talking to your mom, that ain't going to work. Uh, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. But if you can represent, Hey, when the you know, conversation that we were having is something that gets shut down because of the way you want to take your mom's side, it makes me feel less respected. And I know that's not your intention, but I just I want to talk to you about how it feels from my side, so that you can you know. Uh, and good luck. I mean, it's that this one this one is definitely hard, and I'm sure someone who is more uh, uh, professional on the relationship side would give you even some better advice. But all right, next question: What is your guys' night routine? Uh, come home from work. Ignore the children, lock the bedroom door, go to sleep. No, that is not our routine. Uh, uh, Every night we try and sit down and have dinner as a family around 6.30 or so. No technology at the table. Uh, It's gotta be set by one of the kids ahead of the dinner. Uh, It's a meal that we're trying to prepare at the house. Uh, holding hands, saying a prayer, eat the food. I mean, unfortunately, it tends to take like seventeen, like seventeen minutes. I was going I said seven, and then I was like, no, maybe seventeen. No, it's like seven minutes of eating. But um, as we sit around the table, everyone has to represent the uh, high and low of their day. What was the best part of their day? What was the worst part of their day? So that we can talk through um, the things that are challenging them, but also celebrate the things that have been great. Then the kids have a small technology window while the baby is being put to bed. And then once the baby's down, uh, Ray and I decompress for just a minute before the younger boys are put to bed around eight. Jackson, uh, our oldest, gets to stay up closer to nine. But after the, you know, after my 11 year old and my seven year old are in bed, Rachel and I are in bed in that eight o'clock hour, and we are usually asleep by 9 p.m. because we get up at like five on an almost every, not even almost, we get up at five every morning. So if we can be asleep by nine, then we are winning. Uh, we try to squeeze in a little make out sesh, you know, it, you know, it's a delicate thing with kids and doors being locked as people are trying to fall asleep, but um, that's maybe more information than you were looking for. Anyway, uh, we try to be asleep by nine. We're very, very cool. All right, next question. Any advice on how to work on giving grace and forgiveness to your spouse after arguments? Uh, well, it's so interesting because I am, uh, I, I'm just wired because of the way that I am as a, uh, my enneagram is nine. I'm a peacekeeper. Uh, When we argue, uh, if we've had an argument, I tend to be a person who comes around very quickly to, like, what is it worth to stay frustrated? Not worth anything. Let me go make amends so we can get back on uh, with our day. Um, You know, Rachel and I have said often, she says all the time, it's probably her line um, it's maybe not her line specifically, but she says it all the time, uh, that grace is giving someone the opposite of what they deserve. And if, if you're truly interested in like how to give grace, um, you just have to stay focused on giving someone the opposite of what they deserve. Now, um, what they might deserve is you holding them accountable for being a jackass. (laughs) So uh, you know, like accountability and grace can, I think, still be co-pilots in a relationship. But um, it's a little bit for me a question of like, do you want to like win the? Is it like a? Is it the battle like win the battle or win the war? You know, like d- d- is this one of those things that you want to die on the mountain for? I, I'm, I'm miss. I'm like mixing up my analogies at this point. But like, you know what I mean. There are certain things principally like that are important to the point where you're like, I will not afford grace on this one. I'm going to go ahead and just take this one. This is the hill I am going to take. I'm going to die here if I have to. And you know which things those are. Um, forgiveness, like for me, like forgiveness is a choice. You have to just choose. Are you going to forgive this person that you say you're in love with? If you're not, you're going to be in trouble from a, like, quality of relationship standpoint. But, um, you know, fights, I, I think I'd come back to also to, like, is there something in how you've defined the way that your relationship should work that gets violated when fighting takes place, right? Like, when Rachel and I get into an argument, we're still living inside of the constraints of what we've said are the way that we operate in this relationship. We argue respectfully. We don't really raise our voices. We don't normally curse. Like, like I'm trying to think of, like, I can't think of a, an interaction where I'm like, oh, man, that was definitely a departure from who we say we want to be. Doesn't mean it's not uncomfortable, doesn't mean we don't have to like sometimes hold up the accountability mirror, sometimes we just disagree on what one person has as their point of view or another, but if fighting for you has you tipping into something that is a like, complete departure from who you say you want to be as a couple, then I think you have to like force a harder conversation about how to fight constructively how to have arguments that let you maintain the kind of composure, the values you say you hold in the relationship, the respect you say you want to show each other in relationship. Uh, It may mean that you have to go to see a therapist together, which by the way, doesn't mean you're broken, doesn't mean you're bad. It just means that you're interested in having an exceptional relationship. Uh, It may mean that you have to read a book together, listen to a podcast together, may mean you have to do some work. But If your fighting style is something that tips past the point of being consistent with who you say you want to be as a couple, then like needing grace and forgiveness after arguments may be not the problem you're trying to solve. It may be how do I constructively fight? How do I fight in a way, argue in a way that lets us leave the argument feeling like we've stayed consistent with who we say we want to be? All right. Uh, Another question. How do I help my husband heal from a toxic family of origin? Wow. Uh, You know, the, the more that you can redefine for him with your family, that this family that you have is the family that he deserved, or that this family is a representation of how good families operate. Uh, maybe there's a way for him to you know, think differently about what he might of how families are supposed to work. The more that you can help him appreciate who he became for having survived the toxicity, the more that you can uh, encourage him to see the hard stuff as having been for his character development or his resiliency or his resourcefulness or um, whatever it might be. Uh, You know, I came from uh, some easier things. Rachel went through some harder things. Uh, I, I really have come to appreciate the way that she's been able to see what she's come through as having Created for her, so much of her drive and her, um, just like her herself, her like her being, and so um, you can you can either uh, associate the things that you've come from as negative things, or associate the things that you've come from as positive things. And man, it's easy for me to say, just take the hard things and tell tell him that they're positive. But the more that you can work with him on helping him appreciate how him coming out of those hard things or what makes him ready to take on whatever hard thing might come for you and your family. Uh, maybe it helps change the perspective a little bit. I mean, it's hard to say, is there a way for him to feel some gratitude for the toxicness? Um, and, and, and again, the only thing I can think is your family, your, your family that you are in right now, you are going to run into some hard times. Life is going to do what it does to all of us. It's going to kick you in the shin. And he may be more prepared for surviving the shin kick because of having survived a childhood of shin kicking. Uh, and maybe there's a way to see that as a secret weapon, as a superpower that he has heading into the future of you know a, a, a really, really successful family with you. All right, next question is, My question is how to approach a guy friend about maybe taking it further without ruining a friendship if he's not into it. Uh, I'm going to assume that you've gone past the option of writing on a piece of paper. Do you like me? One box, yes. Other box, no. Uh, I... Do not have expertise in this area. Every single thing that comes to mind feels like it will be an insult to your earnest attempt at connecting with this human being. Uh, I I mean, I think I'd be honest um, that you have feelings for him because here's the reality. If you have feelings for him and you want it to go to the next level and you bring it up and he is not interested, he has just given you a tremendous gift. You will not feel that way. You will feel rejected, and it will make you sad, and it will compromise your friendship, but you will be free. (laughs) If he says that he is interested, then you'll get married and have a thousand kids and have a perfect life with no problems. But either way... Uh, forcing that issue by having a conversation is a thing that gets you the kind of clarity you need to live your life, living in the unsure zone. I almost said friend zone. I don't even know what the friend zone is, but they're singing about it a lot these days. Um, But being in that like in-between zone, that is leaving you in uh, in a place that's not ideal anyway. So uh, why not just... uh, go to a roller skating rink, and then when like the disco song comes on where the lights come down just a little bit, act like you're about to fall down, grab his hand, and then never let go. And if he tries to let go, then whip him into the sidewall, the one that doesn't have the padding, and laugh as you find another boyfriend around turn three.